if you were in, uh, or you or anyone were in a situation where you were either drowning or in imminent danger of death, if someone were to lend a hand or to save you, you wouldn't ask them what their name was. Uh, in the case of the world uh, and the, the true salvation, the name of the Savior means a lot. Actually, it means everything. Some people think that they're going to be, the world's going to be saved by technology. Some people think the world's going to be saved by evolution, like there's some next step. I have heard that multiple times, uh, like we're getting better. The next step would just be down, wouldn't it? But, um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of promises about what's going to, maybe we're going to colonize other planets. That's going to save mankind. Um, and there's one true name under heaven by which men can be saved. And when God has put us on a stage where choices matter, this whole setup of the earth and mankind and, and history uh, bears true that decisions are what make the difference. And when people decide on who they're going to worship, what they're going to worship, and to whom they're going to pin their salvation, the name of Christ means everything. And that's what we're going to look at today is in Paul's prayer at the end of chapter 1 here in 2 Thessalonians 1 that uh, he he prays that we would glorify the name of Christ and that that name would also be glorified in us and not only in the future to come when he comes back, but now before he does. And so it's up to us to truly, each of us individually, to come to know what that name is, which really means his person and to adore that person, to come to love that person on a very personal level. No one can do it for you. You have to learn of him yourself. And, uh, and so that's what we look at today. So we're going to start in our main passage in Second uh, Thessalonians 1. And let's open up in prayer and let's thank God for the fact that if you're, I know you all, you've made the right choice. Thank God for that. Thank God for salvation, and that salvation came to us through one choice, and to believe in Christ as our Savior, not by works, because we'd still be working, but we have been saved by faith and by faith alone, and let's bow our heads and thank God for His grace. Our Father in heaven, Thank you for your son. Thank you for the gift of him to us through the virgin birth as he was promised through the prophets from the beginning. The seed of the woman who would save mankind and defeat the enemy of mankind. Satan, the fallen angel, the very real (coughs) hater of mankind, hater of you. We thank you, Father, that through him and him alone, and only he could do it, his sacrifice, his wisdom, his ability and power, his graciousness and love to each of us. He didn't have to do it. He chose to do it. He chose to pick up that cross. He chose to carry it. He chose to be nailed to it. 
At any moment, with one word, he could have stopped it. But he chose to die a most horrible death and be judged a most horrible way in pure innocence. And he did it for us. May we come to adore him, Father, so that we glorify his name and that he and he alone is our one true hero, our one true leader. And we ask, Father, that through your word that would become more real as we learn. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So this uh, Savior, the Savior, is the leader. And the world is always looking for a hero or a leader. Um, when we read about atrocities in history, and I always ask myself, it's very fascinating to me when, say, something like the Holocaust happens throughout Europe in the 1940s by the Nazis. Why didn't people do something? I mean, they all could have banded together and stopped it. But if they did, many of them would have died. They could have done it. They could have done it. We say, why doesn't somebody do something? Well, masses of people hesitate, especially when it's dangerous. The book I'm uh, listening to now, now that I've finished Apollo, is uh, on the uh, Johnstown Flood. I don't know how I picked up this book, but it's by David McCullough, and I love his, I love his writing, history writer. And uh, this Johnstown Flood, it was a dam that broke 15 miles upstream from Johnstown. And they were, they were told, the dam, people were told the dam's in danger. It's in danger of breaking. It was a huge rainstorm, and the level of water was going up and up and up. Now, like, ah, eh, they're always saying that. And then when, it, when people did know it was breaking, they didn't actually send out word. They, nobody in Johnstown knew that water was coming. A 40-foot wall of water traveling at about 30 miles an hour. You're not going to body surf it, you know. It's amazing, actually. The, the deeper I've got into this book, the, I thought it was going to be boring, as usual, when it comes to stuff like that. It was just fascinating. Why didn't somebody do something? Well, because you'd think, and there are plenty of people who knew that dam was not all that damn good. Huh? See, I didn't swear. Uh, and they, you know, it's like, well, we'd have to spend all this money and do all this stuff, and it takes a lot of time, and just, will it really matter, you know, and all that. Well, we have to risk personal danger. People don't do anything. I read a lot in various articles. There's some opinion pieces that uh, I like for certain authors who write opinion pieces, and they, they, quite often lately, I've read about how we're losing our country. You know, United States, we're losing our country. And if we don't do something now, and all the, I know that millions of people subscribe to these, this article that I read. And uh, they read that and go, yeah. And then they go right back to their lives the way they always were. Like, what am I supposed to do? I vote, you know. We always just go back to the way of what we're doing. A great example of this is England. Uh, at the outbreak, when Hitler invaded uh, France and, and the East and Poland, Poland first, that England hesitated. Uh, Chamberlain actually was made, you know, kind of made a deal with Hitler, and Hitler promised, I won't be that, that bad, you know. And Winston Churchill didn't trust Hitler, and he was right. 
And he made a magnificent speech in Parliament, uh, the We Will Never Surrender speech. And they, uh, they made a great movie about that. It's centered on that. Uh, and I, I went on YouTube and I listened to it again just for about five minutes. Uh, Gary, what's his name? The actor plays, plays uh, Churchill. But, um, you know, it's just an inspiring speech. And he inspired the whole country. And he inspired the politicians to do the right thing. And they did. He was a natural leader, Churchill was. And a great statesman. Um, and the world needs leaders. But certainly Churchill, he's a flawed man. <laughs> he's a very flawed man. Uh, was. You know, but, and we see this throughout the history of the potential. Like, because human history is a history of one mediator after another after another. God gives his gospel to people and the people speak it to the world. And we're on a stage where all of these people get to choose either for or against that gospel. Either to obey the gospel, as our passage says in Second Thessalonians 1, or disobey it. And, you know, all of these people come along and it's, always, it's David who was the one that people said this could be the one. You know, this could be the mediator of mediators who is, as they knew, to be the Messiah. But David didn't live up to it, not remotely. He's a failure. What he did with Bathsheba and murdering her husband, he, never, he was never the same. His kingdom was never the same. He never really recovered from it. Christ is the only leader. The mass of mankind seeks to be led, wants to be led, and that will never change. We always need a leader. To the untrained eye, it might seem, however, that God has not been in control of human history. We look around and we see constantly, generation after generation, sin, evil, atrocity being committed again and again. We see in our own lives. I keep hearing of people, you know, add them to the prayer list, add them to the prayer list. People are getting sick. They're being treated unfairly. I think about, and I, whenever I see a headline of something about an abused child, I just I put it aside. I can't read them. They make me sick to my stomach. Children are innocent, and they're abused and neglected in our world, and God allows it to go on. How is God sovereign in this world? But he is. Satan would like to think... Now, Satan does not want the world to think that he's in control. That's a misnomer. Satan wants to be incognito. If people knew who he was, they wouldn't follow him. So he deceives the world of who he is, portrays, as, as Paul writes, portrays himself as an angel of light. What Satan wants the world to think is that we rule mankind. That's what he wants. He wants us to think that we rule and control this world. All right? So we can make the changes. And if you say to the people who believe that, can you look at 6,000 years of history where no one has made any changes? And they'll be like, yeah, but the next generation, we're going to do it. Okay. There's always tomorrow. Is there? 
There's going to come a day where tomorrow's not, there isn't a tomorrow. That's the coming of the Lord. And I do, and there's going to be a thousand year reign after he comes the second time. I'm not talking about the rapture here, the reference in our passage is the second coming. But the, there's going to be a thousand years, but history as it has gone on will no longer go on that way. Because for 1,000 years, Jesus Christ sits on the throne of David physically, bodily, visibly on this earth. And he rules with a rod of iron. His government is perfect righteousness. Nobody gets away with a thing. Every crime is executed. Or, you know, I'm not, I'm sure that you know, not every crime is capital punishment, but I don't know. I'm, I have no idea about that, you know. But we just know that he's going to rule with a rod of iron. Nobody's going to get away with a thing. We see in Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that the, the devil <laughs> will be allowed to attain a level of control. We'll see this. We're going to start it on Sunday. We're going to see he gets a level of control in which he actually does rule the world, at least, you know, on paper. He has nothing but problems, as we see in the book of Revelation. He's, he's, he's never without war. Uh, but that he has his guy, the beast, the Antichrist, is a, the man of lawlessness that we read about in Second Thessalonians 2. And he rules the world, but it's never really good. It never is good. And it ends, what happens is the true Son of God returns and crushes that kingdom as if it were wadded up paper. He returns, sword from his mouth, robe dipped in blood, name tattooed on him, King of kings and Lord of lords, the word of God, the faithful and true. And he comes with his holy ones, of which is us. And angels. And it's over. Who can stand? So the question really becomes not is God, if God is sovereign. Because if God can return and do that and make force every need to bow, that means that he's absolutely sovereign. The question is not is he sovereign. He, I mean, he can do that within you know, at any time. The question is, why does he wait? That's the question. And if we can figure that out, then we'll know what we're here for. Why is God waiting? When the Lord returns, it will be like the author of a play walking out onto the stage to, to gain applause or to be booed. <laughs> and the play is over. That's it. We know from Scripture that when the Lord returns... Even though he will rule for another thousand years, history as we know it is over. And God waits as God allows time to go on as it does. Why does he do so? And that's a really big question because that's probably, you know, why have you done it all is, is too deep for us to understand. Uh, but all we have is what God reveals. And what God reveals is that as time goes on, as, time, as God is patient, Souls are being saved. Many sons coming to glory. As time goes on, more and more people believe. God wills all men to be saved. 
So another per more people by the millions are born every second. And roughly a little less number die. And as millions are born every second, they're going to reach an age, what we call an age of accountability theologically, at a, at a place where they can understand and believe the gospel. And therefore, God has made a stage. A stage in which mankind can choose. And, and through this whole time, a name is proclaimed. Now, whether it's the name given to Moses, Ehiye Asher Ehiye, or I am that what I am, or uh, we have in, in, uh, in Genesis, Eve, when she uh, blesses God for giving her a son, calls him Yahweh. Or I like to pronounce it Yahvah, but Yahweh. He sa she says that name. So they know this name. And this God is proclaimed. To, from Cain and Abel, God speaks to them. <coughs> and through, and through uh, onward to Noah and to Abraham and, and to Moses and onward, that God through the prophets, through the writers, through, these, through priests, through kings, through prophets, he mediates and he proclaims himself until the final name comes, of which... Christ was a name that was already known. That comes that Christ is the Greek translation of the Mashiach, uh, Hebrew word, which is Messiah. They knew that word, but what wasn't known? It's a very common name, Yeshua. Very common, common Hebrew name. It means the Lord saves or the Lord delivers. Uh, there's a lot of Yeshuas. In fact, at the Bible Museum, they have a box that has the name Jesus, Yeshua, on it. We just got to see that in Washington, where some believe, well, those, that's the bones of Christ. Um, no, no, that's not him. <laughs> not only was he not in a little box, it's only like this big, the boxes they put him in. But they're, they're beautiful. The Bible Museum has the, uh, you know, their, their original, archaeologically dug out of the ground, these beautiful, it's a whole set. They're all in one display of uh, first century remains. They're all in little boxes. Um, but, you know, Yeshua was the name that the angel told Mary, this is what you're going to call him. And now, Yeshua is not so common anymore. And, and it's because it, and the whole world knows this. Who doesn't know Jesus in our whole world? You'd have to go pretty far and pretty remote to run into somebody who never heard the name Jesus. I mean, linked to the Son of God. And so, God put mankind on a stage where choices mattered. I went looking for a picture of a stage for this, and I'm like, perfect. A smoking monkey playing a guitar. Because that's what a lot of people do with their choices. We act like animals. We do bad things to ourselves. Smoking is up there with the worst you could do to your body. And, uh, and we're goofing around with our guitars or whatever it is. I thought it was a perfect picture. right? Instead of, you know, there's so many choices that we have to make. And they're good and they're bad. 
And the ultimate one is, are you a sinner and you need a Savior, and who is that Savior? I mean, all of that falls under the choice of the Gospel. And this demands freedom. It can't be forced. So why is there so much sin and evil in the world? Freedom. You have the freedom to choose. You can be an ape. <laughs> and these people, if you know, I don't know what I mean by you know, you know what I mean by that. But sometimes they gain power, like Nazis and others. And you want, you know, it makes sense. Why do stupid people, when they gain power, why do they have to inflict tyranny? Parents do it. Bosses do it. Kings and prime ministers do it. Why do they inflict tyranny? Ty- t- tyranny. Tyranny? Why do they inflict tyranny? It's because no one would follow them volitionally. No one would willingly follow. So they have to force them to. I thought to myself, as we're training up Maggie to try and do the things that we want her to do, at times I was like, you know, it would work as a shock collar. All right, Maggie, time to get your PJs on for bed. No, I don't want to. Zip. Right? After a few shocks, just the, the, all I'd have to say, i just have to say it. I mean, couldn't God run his planet like that? God has a shock collar, right? The bolt of lightning. We don't really see. <laughs> what God, God uses the, hail, the fiery hailstones. Those, those are my favorite. God goes bowling with fiery hailstones. No, what if if people were getting hit in the head with a fiery hailstone every time they committed a sin? There would be a lot of well-behaved people on this planet. But God didn't design it that way. And it's because we have to choose this name. You have to choose it for yourself. And it's something, you know, there's there's uh there's a song. It's not remotely one of my favorites, but it says, Jesus, there's something about your name. That's, and, and there is. And we, each of us, have to find it. I mean, Him as a person, Him as God, Him as Savior, Him as Sacrificer, Him as the most noble person who ever set foot on this earth by miles. The greatest, the kindest, the most, the one who loved the most, by miles, this is the one that we have to come to know. And if we know him, we will glorify his name. We will long to. He will overwhelm us. And, you know, I understand, like, what happens is, I think, as as we're new, at least it happened with me, new into doctrine. I got, I really loved the doctrines, you know, the study of the doctrines, and I I found my as I look back, I know I worshipped the doctrines, in a, in a way that I separated the doctrines from the person. And I think everybody does that to some. I mean, I hope everybody does that to some extent because I did it for years. Not that I care. I, I hope nobody does it, actually. Because it, it, 
it gets your mind all twisted up in in a knowledge that puffs up, as as is put in the scripture, rather than receiving the truth for its real purpose. So, like in our passage, in verse 11, look at 2 Thessalonians 1.11, To this end we pray for you always, that our God would count you worthy of your calling, and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. Right, so here's what Paul says he's praying for, that God would count you worthy, or that you would be worthy of your calling, meaning not that you're earning your calling, not at all, but that you're living in a manner that is worthy of the calling that you already have. You have this calling because you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is of no merit to you. It is by grace. Grace means I don't merit anything. This worthiness is I live in a manner that is worthy of that calling, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 4. And here, to fulfill every good desire for goodness. That word desire is a Greek word that means a good desire. So it's a good desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. So that is what I purpose in life are the same things that God purposes. The work that I do is by faith in his word and his spirit. And so I do God's work, which Jesus said would be the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So this work of faith, as James says, faith without works is of no use or is dead. Same here, you know, we're going to have faith and that faith is going to have action and all. All of that, so I'm going to have God's purposes, God's desire, God's work by faith, and my life is going to be in step with God's will. And then Paul says, so that. And that's very important. Because it, it, Paul is saying, look, there's a reason why you're doing this. There's a reason why you're learning Scripture. There's a so that to this. There's a so that to the work that you do. There's a so that to the good purpose that you have in your heart. And that so that is that a name is glorified in this world through your life, through your eyes, through your words, through your actions. A name is glorified in you. And it's not you, by the way. <laughs> Which you know, but I, I put that in on purpose because what I've seen them, I've done it. There's a lot of Christians out there like, look how awesome I am. Maybe they're not saying it, but you know they're thinking it. And they're in it. Right? Christianity is a, is a huge group. It's a big, big group. And you could become admired in that group. Isn't that what people want? So they do. The Pharisees wanted to be admired in their group. Right? The pe- people want to be admired in their group. I think the elites in our world are all admired in their group, and they don't give a rat's patootie what we think of them because we're not in their group. And this, you can do it in the church. 
be admired by my group. You're not to be admired by anybody. And if people do, so be it. But the moment that goes to your head, you're glorifying yourself and not him. So that, look at verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus, so we get Paul uses two names. He doesn't use Jesus here. Oh, sorry, he doesn't use Christ. I just read Jesus. So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus will be glorified, if you skip back to verse 10, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Glorified here is passive. Jesus is going to be glorified in us on that day. What day? Second coming of Christ, the day of the Lord. So he is, on that day he's going to be glorified, but in Paul's prayer, he is to be glorified now in us. And we're to know that in the future, because Paul's prayer is definitely tied to the context, which is eschatology, last days, that we know, look, when we return with him, I mean, it's a no, it's a no duh statement, but we're going to be glorifying him. Can you imagine coming back with the Lord and you're like, wow, ain't I hot stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's not that. And you're, by the way, you're not of sin nature anymore. So there's no possibility of it. So, think, you know, thinking of that future, and then I say to myself, should I glorify myself now? For all of eternity, for zillions and zillions and zillions of years, you are never one thought of glorifying yourself will ever enter your resurrected mind. And God wants us to know that. And he says, look, I have sent into the world my son. He is the greatest of the great. He is the king of kings. King of kings means there's no one to touch him. And so his name, the first Lord, which is his deity, Yeshua, Jesus, is his humanity. Yeshua means the Lord saves or the Lord is my help. That's his humanity. Jesus is a carpenter. Carpenter from Nazareth. In in the last season of The Chosen, they did a couple of scenes with Jesus learning carpentry from his father. And, uh, you know, nobody knows how that went down. And I know some... I, I. Swear to God, people get upset about the fact that they do that, which I find silly. But all it does is just open up, you know, have I ever thought about that? Here is a boy learning how to be a carpenter from his father, and he's God who created wood. You know, like, like what kind of limitation do you put on yourself? Like, none of us can understand it, really. But what it shows is, This incredible humility so that you and I can be saved. It's the whole reason for it. There's a name attached to the person who did that. And it's incredible. Christ is the Greek word Christos, which is the Greek translation of Mashiach. I like the Hebrew word. I take Hebrew next year, so I'll have the... uh, 
the right pronunciations. I'm still going to do the spittle thing, though, because I like that. Mashiach. But anyway, uh, Messiah means anointed one, and that is a title. So Yeshua is his name. Kyrios, Lord, and Christos are titles. The glorification of his name, therefore, is obviously more than the letters. It's more than the letters that make up the word. It's the person that is behind the name. In his name, if you look up in his name or things are done in his name in the New Testament, miracles are performed in his name. Multiple times people are baptized in his name. Faith is in his name. People speak boldly in his name. Paul and Barnabas risk their lives for his name. His name is magnified. People call on his name. Believers do. Uh, believers exhort others in his name. Believers are justified in his name. We give thanks in his name. Every knee will bow at his name when that day comes. His name will be glorified in us as we just read. Paul gives commands in the name of Jesus and we pray in his name. So, as John 20 puts it, life. As John, John uh, finishes his Gospel. This is before there's an appendix. And John 21 is kind of an appendix. These are the last lines to the, the proper uh, body of the gospel. And he says, these things have been written. This is where John writes that there were many signs that Jesus performed and we didn't have enough paper in this world to write it all in. <clears throat> but these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Right? Life itself is in his name. And therefore, that name has a meaning to it of which, you know, I've got to spend my whole life discovering it. What is Jesus? Oh, not what. Who is Jesus in his humanity? Where he's limited. Where he's learning carpentry where he's hungry and thirsty and bleeding and being beaten, and it actually hurts, where he's sorrowful, where he won't go unless the Father tells him to go. He won't speak unless the Father tells him to speak. He won't do miracles. He won't do the things unless the Father tells him to do them. His Father tells him to suffer, and he will. Completely limited. We're to give thanks in his name. Or as Paul writes in Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus Christ or the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. Everything you do, do in his name. And of course, some have taken that to mean, uh, pray, they, they say praise the Lord, everything they do. <laughs> That's not exactly what he means. It means in his person. Inspired by his person. Awed by his person. Why am I going to love this person? Why am I going to actually think that I need to behave and speak in a certain manner to everybody in my life? Everybody at all times. Because I live in his name. Can I do such a thing? You bet you can. 
if you want to. Everybody, all the time. That means, wait, when do I get a break? (laughs) You know, when we think about that, when we want a break, it's a break to be lazy, self-centered, and probably sinful. We like, we we need a break. (laughs) And we take them. I I mean, every one of us do it. But, you know, God doesn't say, no, I'm going to give you a break. He does give us rest, but even Christ rested. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But every word that I speak, right? Paul writes, let not one unwholesome word escape your mouth. Imagine being such a person. You would glorify his name if you did. Life in his name is doing all in his name. His name is his person. His name is his reputation. His name is his way. His way of goodness. His salvation. His power, His wisdom. It has always been proclaimed. I looked up in a couple of websites, all the names of Jesus. They're easy to find. People have loaded up the web with, uh, with various um, lists of, in the Bible, all His name. It's astounding. I just rifled through them. You know, and the first one we see in the Scriptures in Genesis 3.15, He's the seed of the woman. That's, how, that's His first title. Uh, he's the son of David, the prince of peace, Messiah, son of God, on and on. Lord of the armies, Lord, God. Uh, he's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He's also the lion of Judah. He's both. And actually in Revelation, I think it's in, in chapter 4, chapter 4 and 5 where John first sees the vision of the Lord in heaven. Both names are given. I saw a lamb slain, and his name was the Lion of Judah. I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. But, of course, it makes sense. As the mediators throughout history have come and gone, it all came to a head in the name Jesus, Jesus Christ our Lord. Mediators started with Adam right at the beginning as God communicated to him to Cain and Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, on and on, Samuel, David, all the prophets. John the Baptist, as Jesus said, was the greatest of the prophets. Came for one, he had one purpose, to announce the coming of the one who possessed this name. And... Then on to, as he sits at the right hand of God, to the apostles, to the church, and now you and me are mediators. And we'll see that. How has the world dealt with this? And the final servant song of Isaiah 53 tells us this. The final servant song, well, we'll go there. Go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed our message? That, that's a great title for human history right there. And who's the hour? It's plural, right? Who's believed our message? Those are all the mediators that God has ever sent. They've all had the, this message. 
Of course, it's progressed. You know, and the message is the seed of the woman at the beginning is going to bruise the serpent on the head. That's all we know so far. We also know that there's animal sacrifice, so sin is covered by blood. We know that. At that time, that's enough to know. That's exactly what God said to Cain. Do what your brother did, and you'll be fine. But Cain would not. He rejected just that amount of truth. Cain rejected it in favor of what he wanted to do. And people continue to do this. On and on, the gospel is more and more revealed, more and more revealed. And then when Christ ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit descended upon the church at Pentecost, now the gospel was revealed in its fullness like it never had been before. Not in that kind of clarity and fullness. And who has believed our message? Fortunately, you have. (laughs) You believe somebody's message. I know the person who evangelized me. And here's another title for him, The Arm of the Lord. Uh, verse uh, second line of verse 1. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. Truly human. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. You know, and you can read on and on with Isaiah 53. There's four servant songs in Isaiah. They start in chapter 42. It's 42, 49, I think 46, 49, and 51, and 53. And, um, I mean, imagine how lonely he was. You ever? I'm sure you have. You've been surrounded by people who don't get you at all for a, you know a period of time. Say it's a place you're living, or I don't know. A, you know, like you're in a place where nobody understands you. Nobody loves or cares for the th- same things you do. Nobody even knows about them. Can you imagine this man going through life? When nobody understands who he is, as much as he says it, they don't understand it. And that nobody really comprehends what he comprehends. He's completely alone. And on top of that, he's rejected and persecuted. But he never stops. He's a man of sorrows, as it says here. But he never stops. The will of God must be done. You and I. Now, imagine, and we have to kind of, we have to step out of our lives for a a little bit. It's one of the beauties of Bible class. One of the benefits, there's many benefits to Bible class, but it gets you out of life. And I I think that's one of the the advantages of face-to-face, which I know there's tons of people who watch, tons. There's a number out there who listen to us who would long to be here. They tell me all the time they'd long to be here. Uh, Terry in Great Britain um, 
tells me all the time that she wants to come to the basement church. You know, she's like, I want to be in the basement. And I'm like, well, we'll probably be here a very long time, so you'll have an opportunity. But, um, you know, in, in Bible class, you're taken out of your life for a time. And we all have to do this because to, we can get absorbed with, we, what do we got to do next? And we got to do this and we got to do this. And actually, in the whole big scheme of things, a lot of the things that we do are not important at all. But we have to do them. And I, and I think what's, and we can forget this, but it's how we do them that actually can make them important. You know, we can just go through the motions or we can do things in His name. That was Colossians 3. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, if Jesus were clean in the house right now, what would be his frame of mind? Not like me, as I get more and more angry, as I pick up more and more stuff from a particular little short person. <laughs> whom I love, to, I love to tears, I love her so much, but. That's why I got to stop talking about it because this is what ha- it's why pastor PKs have a terrible life because their fathers are always talking about them behind the pulpit. Um, yeah, how you know how would everything that we do we if so here's my point if we step out and say just for a minute and think did you know that God wants me to glorify His name with my life now? Yeah, what kind of a privilege that is, and what a calling that is. Right? Every one of us, and none of us excluded. He didn't just pick like the good Christians, and thank God that I, you know, I'm, I didn't make the grade, so I don't have to glorify him at all. But no, he calls us all to do it. Glorify my son's name. Paul desires it so bad that he says we pray continually that you'll do that. That's his prayer for the Thessalonians. And therefore, for us, we should be praying it for one another. But you'd have to, you'd have to like really go about your everyday life with a different mindset than just getting stuff done until the end of the day. You know, and, and I, I get this too. Like, I'm going to get, I have to, you know, what stuff do I have to do until I can get to the recliner in my crossword puzzle? And nobody bothers me anymore. And I don't think, I mean, obviously there's nothing wrong with that, right? Because we all need times of rest. But, you know, say it's my recliner time and then God says, I want you to do this one more thing. You know, if we heard from heaven God say, I want you to do one more thing, you'd be like, oh, okay, sure. But it's when a person, it's a person that you're supposed to love who interrupts you (laughs) when it's recliner time and you're like, oh, Lord, people, just stop. You're so needy. Jesus. At least use the Lord's name in vain. And, you know, when God is calling you, to do that. 
But it's a mindset. It's a mindset that says, I've been called to glorify the name of the Lord, and I am going to do so with my life. And when am I going to get rest? He said it. Second Thessalonians chapter chapter 1. He will give rest. We are going to have relief when he comes back. But when's that going to be? With, that was my title. I'm coming quickly. Could mean today. Might not. Um, so, uh, you know, in Jesus, John, uh, this passage, what, what do we just read? He was despised and forsaken of men. No, no here, the, John quotes, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And right after that, John quotes the Lord at the end of, uh, in his gospel in John 12. He quotes, he's, after he quotes Isaiah 53, it says, who's believed our message? And, you know, you read through the gospel of John, hardly anybody, right? The, the leadership rejected it. The, a lot of the Jews rejected it. Some accepted it. But a lot of them rejected it. Certainly the leadership, they wanted to kill him. And they are going to plot to kill him. And then he quotes Jesus saying this, right after he quotes Isaiah 53. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Oh, it's just so beautiful. You notice the word remain. It means that we're all born into it. We're all in it. All of us are in darkness, and yet he has come with sacrifice, to sacrifice himself. And that's the name that we are called to honor. At the second coming of Christ, for the sake of time, we won't read the scriptures, but I have, there's multiple. Um, and the more work I'm doing on this, the more I am astounded and through all the prophets in the Old Testament and with the book of Revelation and the, many of the epistles, how often this is written of and all the events that go around it, the Battle of Armageddon and all of that. All these prophecies about the second coming and what's going to happen before, all the prophecies about the tribulation and what's going to happen then. And it's mounds and mounds and mounds of biblical data. You know, like prophets like Habakkuk. Or some call him Habakkuk. I've always called him Habakkuk. Habakkuk. So, uh, you know, and there's so much of it. So much of it. And, you know, there's... God tells us this. Over and over and over. And why does he want every generation to know? Because there's going to come a time where tomorrow's not going to be like like it was. Like tomorrow's just another day. There's going to come a time where it's not. And And if you're on the wrong end of this, it's going to be fierce and awful. He will be seen by all. This uh, etching was, is by Dore, Gustav Dore. Uh, he will be seen by all, bodily, physically, visibly. Whether he's bringing, bringing a big old cross with him, that's Dore. That's not scripture. 
But he is coming with angels are right. That's right. Uh, and flames of fire, mighty mighty angels of flames of fire, and and us, which I don't think uh, Dory had that in there. But it's all right. I just wanted to put a picture up. <laughs> Nobody knows what it's going to look like. Uh, in Revelation 19, 11, uh, Jesus said, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it is called Faithful and True, righteousness, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. He uh, comes with, uh, his uh, name is called the Word of God, and armies in which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, are following him on white horses. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. Everybody's going to see that. In Matthew 24, he says, uh, uh, And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all of the tribes of the earth will mourn. All of the tribes of the earth will mourn. It's a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 12, where it says they'll look upon him and mourn. But where I want you to go is Philippians 2. No, I don't. No, I don't. Go to Luke 17. Philippians 2 is too involved, and I've got no time for it. I'll save that one. Well, we know it, but we'll save it. Luke 17, 22. The one that we're proclaiming, the one who we're glorifying with our lives, is the one who's going to come and everybody's going to see him. So we're proclaiming one who's not here. The person that you're proclaiming the gospel to, the person who is seeing your good works and seeing, therefore, that you are a light and, uh, unto the Lord, you're, you're revealing, uh, you're witnessing of someone that they're not going to see. Not, not that moment. And uh, there's going to come a time where everybody's going to see him. And this is, as I said, it's spoken of over and over and over. And God wants us to understand that that person that we're witnessing to, they have a short time. Right? When they die, there's no second chance after that. And, and the Lord could come back at any moment. And so, that you know, it's important. It's important that we are lights and that we're alert to this, that, to live in his name to do all things in His name, to exhort in His name, to teach in His name, to do everything in His name, even the most menial labor, to do it in His name, as unto the Lord. And there's a benefit to you, is that, you know that menial labor? It's not so menial anymore. You know those chores that you hate? Now, you might still not like them, but you'll, li- you'll not like them less. Life in you every day, every day, will have meaning and purpose. That's what everybody's looking for is meaning and purpose. They think they're going to get it in money and fame and in sex and in power and in all kinds of stimulants. They think there's meaning there and there is not. I saw a young guy at the park today just... He was um, with a group of people in a truck. And this truck was a nice truck. And this guy got out and he started rummaging through the trash. And he was in terrible shape. 
holding his stomach, he was definitely dope sick. I've, I've seen dope sick, and I know that means he's, his body is breaking down because he doesn't have his dope. And then the car took off. Now I could think to myself as they, you know, he, didn't, he ran out of money or whatever. He couldn't party anymore, and they got rid of him in the park, and off he went. He walked. I thought, you know, what can I say to this guy? Is there anything I can say to him? But what start, you know, that a young guy. There was a time when he was a kid, loving life, you would assume, in which, you know, he wasn't a victim to addiction. And he thought one day that there's going to be fun, meaningful fun, in taking these substances. And you find yourself, and they find themselves stuck in it. Luke 17:22 and he said to the disciples the days will come where you will long to see one of the days of the son of man and you will not see it they will say to you look there look here do not go away do not run after them you see that and i love how the lord here acknowledges the fact that you are going to long for me to come back right you're going to ache for it and he also tells us there's going to be false prophets, false teachers are going to tell you, oh, there's a Messiah over here or over there. Don't believe them. That there's, there's salvation in something else or in someone else. Don't believe them. Because he says in verse 24, for just like the lightning when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. No, you're going to know. In other words. So when they say the Messiah is over here in this hidden room, you'd be like, well, I didn't see any flash of lightning. Like it's going to be obvious. However, now notice his next line. He's going to go further on about his second coming, but he interjects this in verse 25. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Before that wonderful day comes, I've got to suffer so that when it comes, you're coming with me. Right? I'm not coming alone. This is why we must glorify His name. There's only one leader. There's only one Savior. There's only one who has done this. I could be, you know, I'm God. I come in glory all by myself. Sure could. But we, the Trinity, wanted to do that very thing except with you, sinful, limited, (laughs) dumb people. We wanted you to be with us when we come. And that's why human history. That's why I must first suffer these things. That's why the delay. That's why the patience of God. And that's why now we're to have His mind, as it says in Philippians 2, have this mind in you which is also in Christ Jesus. And we are to glorify His name now. And what a privilege it is to do so. To live in the manner of this God-man.
We must come to know Him on our own. You must seek Him with all your heart. You, right? Not, you know, you have teachers, awesome. Of course, you need them. But you yourselves have to come to understand the Scripture. You yourself must come to understand, say, the meaning of prayer and why it's so wonderful. You yourself have to do this. Because no one can see Him for you. You have to see Him for yourself. It's in the Scripture and the application of Scripture to life. Let's pray. We thank You, Father, for Your Word. And thank You so much for our Lord and Savior who sacrificed Himself for our benefit. On our behalf, He gave His life. And to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to Him be all glory, honesty, uh, honor, majesty. It's in His name we pray. Amen.